Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Happy spooky Halloween. That's a very good impression of a theremin. What's a theremin? It's that instrument you hear a lot in old Hammer House of Horror films. It's operated by moving your hand up and down and it changes the electronic pitch. Do you want to try and guide your hand to make me make a noise as a theremin? Sure. Do I make a noise first? Yes. It's it... a... <laughs> I think we could take that on stage. <laughs> so dumb. Have you ever done your Halloween name? I don't know what that is. So I would be Death Void, for example. Oh, yeah, that's so stupid. I hate that. You could be Scarer, Baron. So stupid. I'm not 10. But is it not part of your culture? When we've been in the States around Halloween, it's a whole other level. It's like more dramatic than any Christmas decorations I've ever seen in the UK. I, I didn't realize how crazy it is. There was this guy who lives on my parents' street and what would you call all those figures that he had? They were like inflatables. Inflatables and illuminated. They were illuminated inflatables. So during the day, uninflated and unlit, it looks like a garbage heap. <laughs> but then for like an hour at night, he like put them up and it would be sort of an okay display, but still look insane. And then after an hour, he turned it back off and I'd be like, wow, you don't care how your house looks on the outside. You know, there are certain houses that have sofas in the front lawn. I was looking at this guy's front lawn in the daylight being like, where's the sofa, buddy? Let's complete the look. <laughs> if we're going to do it, let's do it. What do you think his neighbors think? I think they like it because kids love it. But you don't think he's using it to lure children? No, in fact, in fact, in fact, we saw like an empty pram in front of the door and you were like, that is the scariest part of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we can call this our Halloween special. Ooh, spooky, scary Halloween special. We have spooky recommendations for you. We have only spooky recommendations. But we also have an interview that isn't at all spooky. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's maybe our least spooky interview of all time. <laughs> we are talking this week to Hannah Boss and Paul Thoreen. You're thinking, who are they? 
They're your new favorite people. That's thing number one. They're your new fucking favorite people. And they are the co-creators and co-executive producers of Somebody Somewhere. That's the Bridget Everett show that you were talking about the other week. And it was very interesting to listen to them speak about it. Look at me. I'm being in my serious voice. What if, wait, let's just try for a minute. Like, what if I acted like a very serious podcaster? And it was really um, fascinating speaking to these creators about how they made the decisions that they did. You know, can, can I say what I think, what I think I'm trying to audition for? Mm -hmm. I think I'm trying to show people that if you do have a branded podcast, what is the brand? Let me show you that I can have a sense of trust, enthusiasm, and warmth in my voice. I tell you. Spooky quick watch. Um, I went on a journey with my spook watch and you said you might want to try Uncanny, which is, I think I'm very late to this party, but it was a big deal podcast hosted by Danny Robbins. Easy on the eyes. It got so successful as a podcast that it then became a TV show for someone who didn't have that big of a profile. So this is, of course, all we dare to dream of. So I'm watching this like this is interesting. This guy has pretty low social numbers. He's good. And it came from a podcast. Do you want to take the story over from yeah. here? So so I'm wandering in and out while you're watching this. And I'm starting to think, oh, this is good. And you say this guy's had late in life success after yeah. a podcast. Yeah. I said that. Then you almost immediately follow it by saying, but he is easy on the eye. So you heard that as he's had some late and like success, but it's because he's handsome and you're an uggo. So I guess your dreams are dead. When I mean, it's, in it's, fact, it's difficult not when to hear it as in that. Fact, I was talking about us as a couple. Now, <laughs> what I mean is you think I'm pretty enough to have married me. Okay. We can both agree that if I had said, what if I did try like a little bit of modeling? It might be like, oh, honey, I love you, but I don't know. I think you have such a distorted idea of how you look. What about on Saturday, you and I go to Covent Garden and see if you get model scouted. I think it could happen for you. <laughs> the point is, I'm sorry I said that, but I, I meant it about us. There's just a category of person where the looks are doing a portion of the job. I don't think it hurts what their little faces look like. Danny Robbins is someone I root for in spite of the fact that he's got Britpop hair and he looks like this little boy man. Oh, look, he is a little, boy, little man. boy man. He looks like a little boy man. I know him a little bit and he's one of the good guys. Well, we might as well say that because we'll try, we should try and get him on the pod. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen Uncanny or heard the podcast. Okay. First of all, it is fucking fantastic. It's one ghost story per episode, but they'll, they'll tease you and they'll follow up. And Danny Robbins is agnostic. The, the gist I got was like, he was never a believer, but this work that he's done becoming like Mr. Ghost Reporter has made him believe. Would you like to be a ghost? I would like to be a ghost specifically so that I could eavesdrop on other couples' arguments. And if people say, people can have like um, words that bring me. Words, words that summon you. Words that summon me. So you have to be in a long-term couple. Mm -hmm. You have to be sharing a residence. Here are two phrases you can say. You could say, your mother. <laughs> or you could say, my money. <laughs> and and you, then you will apparate. And then suddenly I appear. <laughs> and I'm not there to intervene. I'm just there to listen to the convo unfold. That would be my dream, to be able to just listen to other couples argue. Do you remember the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life? Is that I was on a bus. I'm always on a bus. And it was nighttime and it was a half hour ride. And I got excited to like listen to my podcast on the bus ride. And I realized I didn't have my AirPods. Awful. Awful. And it's nighttime and it's Ugh. 30 minutes. Nothing to look at. Horrendous. And I'm 44. I got no nice thoughts to go to in here anymore. <laughs> 
44 is too old to be left alone with your thoughts. You can't do it no more. <laughs> so I'm like in a rage, you know, my rage comes. I'm like, why me? Why do you? And then I notice, and maybe because of God, maybe God went, girl, I got you. Maybe it was God. And there was a couple right in front of me. And they were um, they were arguing about his being hungry. <laughs> like he was really hungry. And she was like, well, it's not my fucking fault that you're hungry. And it was so glorious to listen to. And it wouldn't have happened if the big guy hadn't made sure that I forgot my AirPods that day. So you're looking forward to the afterlife then? I'm not there yet, but it is the most compelling thing I've ever seen. And it is just the highest of high recommendations, people, of stuff they should watch tonight. My spooky quick watch, my spook watch, is full of the House of Usher. Now, we received an email from Liam Dodd who says, I know Sarah poo-pooed the suggestion, but it's really good crack. I enjoyed it from start to finish, enjoying the cascading consequences of the chaos. It's <gasps> alliteration. Liam, did you intend it? Now, where do you read bad things about this? You know, it wasn't like in the New York Times. Because I subsequently had a look, and I, I am not a fan of the supernatural, spooky horror genre in the way that you are. Right. But I thought it was good. I'm trying to think how to describe it. First, it feels expensive. The showrunner is called Mike Flanagan, and I believe he has some impressive pedigree in this kind of thing. It's got almost like a horror version of Knives Out quality to it oh that Imagine sounds wonderful if knives out was maybe directed by tim burton <gasps> who had recently been watching uh, a wes anderson film and, and succession see now that just sounded bad but you felt that there was a cohesiveness to it i did it looks lavish it's stylized it's fun it opens with a wealthy patriarch attending a joint funeral for his adult children oh my god jeff and then we see him in his spooky familial home, ready to confess all to a prosecutor who this guy seems has long been his nemesis. This is good. You could be a scary announcer. And it's based on the writings of Edgar Allan Poe. Quoth the raven, nevermore. I'm ashamed to say that I've never read any Edgar Allan Poe. And my main knowledge of him is from the episode of The Simpsons with Telltale Heart, <laughs> huh? and from the line in I Am The Walrus, man, you should have seen the kick in Edgar Allan Poe. I thought that might be a good thing to ask people to write in with. Go on. Knowing some classic piece of culture, but from completely the wrong place. That's how I am with them. We didn't start the fire. Right. So what educated you? For yeah. you, it's been The Simpsons and The Beatles. For me, the Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Let's see if we get anything back on this. So once we're in, we flash back. Someone's been talking to the government. So they've brought all the family together around the dinner table. Oh, for a confrontation? Yeah. The head of the House of Usher, the, the kids are pretty much all by different women. Gross. Six kids by five women. And he's subsequently remarried a much younger woman. How, how do you think you'd do if your dad did that? I have said to my father, I've got, have you ever thought about like, if like mom gets hit by a car, like she's staring at her phone and she gets hit by a car in the middle of the road, like what you would do? And he goes, oh, yes. And I mean, he laid out a point by point plan. <laughs> it was he's like, there is um, there's an old person's home. It's near to your brother, but not so near. But I wouldn't want this, but I wouldn't want this. I would sell the house. I mean, like, oh, he said to me, we were home in Chicago. There are these two magnets on their refrigerator of the four of us when Sam and I are little. And my, my dad points at them and he goes, these are coming with me to the hospice. <laughs> like he has such a plan. He pointed to a thing. He's like, just so you know, 
all of our papers are in there if you need anything. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm I'm ready for it. So his plan doesn't involve signing up for the dating apps. Then. No, he well, he's promised me he would. He said, I no matter what happens, I would never, ever, 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 ever marry again. But that he hasn't promised non-dating, and I don't know, maybe he would, but I I would have to accept he gave a lot to me as a child when I really needed it, and now this is the shit he needs as a apparently gross old man. But it's not about me anymore. One final thing to try and sell you on this show. Okay. It turns out the family have made their money in opiates. You're lying. You're a liar right now. It's opioid money? It's a horror opiate. No. It's a a horror opioid crossover. Can we get a little bit of musical theatre in there and then I am finished? (laughs) We want to hear from you on subjects including TV was my teacher, like me knowing Edgar Allan Poe from The Simpsons. Also, what would you do if you were a ghost? We've heard Sarah's version. Um, Apart from Uncanny, have there been any good TV adaptations of podcasts? Well, you've got a very good idea. Producers, are you listening? (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. He has a very, very, very good idea. You do. I'm not going to give it away for free to these little shits. I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking you're not as beautiful as Danny Robbins. Neither of us. You're thinking you have no social media followings. We get it. My husband has a very good way to make this a TV show. Put him on one of these channels. Did you know there's a channel called Gold? I did know that, yes. Put it on Gold! (laughs) Put it on Gold. We feel we should host it. But if you want to do that thing where you kick out the people who originated the idea and put in some celebrity who's a very strange fit for that, we're open to that too. Just give us the money for the format. Give it to Chris and Rosie Ramsey. Yes, and watch them fly. It can say program associates, Sarah Barron and Jeff. Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, we'll take program associates. <laughs> Do, would we get a lot of money as program associates? Oh, yeah, something that ran for one series on gold. Oh, my God. Can I just have a little bitch sesh? So that show like Dangerous Roads is coming back where they put comedians with other comedians and they drive around Dangerous Roads. Okay. We're leaving it there as a format because I would love to be booked on that show. Okay. So that people are starting to do the promo to be like, guys, I'm going to be on. Da, 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 da. And I mean, they're putting together some people who I know have never spoken to each other before they put them in this fucking car. They should cast comedians between whom there is a known animosity. No, that is very (laughs) up my street as a dynamic. But I would like very much to go on this show. I think we need more travel formats. And I would like very much to participate on one. Oh, my God, please book me in with someone so famous and then let me get some traction off the back of their career. Got your eye on anyone? Who could I have some authentic chemistry with? I need someone more famous than I am. That is a long list. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who I'd have real chemistry with. You were on a double bill with Bobby Davro a while ago, and that, oh. that seemed to go quite well. Okay, listen. As it turns out, I can fucking appeal to a broad crowd. Oh, you want me to make some really cool Londoners in Hackney Laugh? Not a problem, bitches. Oh, people show up for Bobby Davro. You want me to talk to them? Not a problem. I might not be good on the socials, but my reach is broad. (laughs) What if the podcast just becomes me gunning for work? That's going to be appealing to people. (laughs) And as ever, we want more recommendations, please. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Will you be doing a spooky Patreon this week? Barefoot, barefoot, barefoot wound a wounded barefoot creeping up into a spooky door (laughs) 
Your sound effect of a spooky door was very good. I know, I know, I know. I mean, I know when I know and I know when I don't. But You put me in mind of that guy from Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, that was cobwebs going away. Mm-hmm. Oh, look. There's, there's a little notice. Should we see what it says? Yes. Okay. This is an ancient email from Jen. And there's blood all over this. This is quick to ask. Does a list of the shows you've been recommending on They Like to Watch exist anywhere? Like most people, when I'm listening, I'm also driving or walking the dogs. I'm not writing them down as I listen. Hopefully there's a running tab. Jen in Connecticut. Jen. I'm doing a red rum voice. Too exhausting. Mm. Can I just say red rum a few times? Sure. Red rum. What about just the once? Oh. <laughs> and then address Jen's question. Jen, it's so funny that you ask, Jen. But the answer is, yes, that list exists. But we're dirty little fuckers, Jen. And for access to that list, guess what you got to do? Join the Patreon. Three pounds a month. And it's there every week. It's all there waiting for you. You get that for three pounds a month, plus our extended interviews. And if you're like, fuck you for making me pay, I kind of get it. But keep in mind that these podcasts like basically are free and require so much work. And I'm not asking for pity. I'm just providing context. Now, this is the door closing, which is a different sound. Patreon.com stroke. They like to watch. And you're going to love our guests later. We don't always say it. Maybe sometimes you'll think you'll love the interview, but I don't know what you'll think of the guests. I really hope you love this interview, and I'm sure you will love the guests. They are Hannah Boss and Paul Thoreen, creators of Somebody Somewhere, starring Bridget Everett. I feel that I need to begin this section with an apology. Thank you. (laughs) So, So here's the thing. I don't really enjoy horror as a genre. No. I can get as seasonally carried away as anyone uh, else. Uh, I enjoy a jack-o'-lantern. Uh-huh. I enjoy answering the door during trick-or-treat. Yeah. I, I, can get into, I can get into the scary music of Halloween, like Thriller and Ghostbusters and, and the Monster Mash. I, I am a big Bobby Boris Pickett fan. I don't know who that is. The man behind the Monster Mash. He did the mash. It was a graveyard <laughs> smash. He tried to follow it up. Oh, shit. A number of times. Okay. Monster's Holiday. <gasps> Monster Minuet. Oi. Monster Concert. Although, latterly, the climate mash during attention to climate change not long before he died. He's still alive? I was going to say, that's no, nice of him. Yeah. When you said you tried to follow it up, I assume you meant with like other holidays, because I think that guy's problem was he needs to go smaller holiday. So if he'd done like a Valentine's Day song or... But but do people want to hear a Valentine's Day song sung in the style of Boris Karloff, which appears to be his USP? <laughs> But there are a number of horror films that I enjoy, and I'm going to list them for you now before we explain what happened this week. What happened last night? Oh, God. Let the Right One In. Uh Uh-huh. It Follows. Mm Mm-hmm. Babadook. Uh Uh-huh. Get Out. Uh Uh-huh. The Shining. Uh-huh. Although you put it on most years and, and I tend to fall asleep because I always forget how long it is. I think also I, like one of my great joys on Halloween is getting a travel mug and pouring a bunch of booze into it and getting like a little bit drunk as I trick or treat with my child. And so by the time then we like get him to bed and we've dealt with everything, my body hits the sofa. I'm like, 
and I'm out. <laughs> so tell us about what you chose and how you chose it. Yeah, so we we're thinking that for our big watch, we wanted to give you today a great scary film that maybe you haven't watched. And there was a film that I saw mentioned called Saint Maud, which I remember hearing about at the time. And I was like, oh, I think it's supposed to be excellent. Like Came a, out in 2019. And that it was like legitimately disturbing, but really, really good. And I read a little bit about it and I thought, I think this is the one. How long would you say I lasted before it just got too disturbing okay, for me so I, and I had to just come upstairs? I felt his body shaking on the sofa <laughs> and I felt I was annoyed. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I felt his body starting to shudder and he's like looking in different directions. And then like, I'm just going to ignore it because maybe it's attention seeking. And then turned out it wasn't and he was breaking down. <laughs> So then I had to hold you like you got you got really disturbed by it. So I had to hold you, which is very happy to do. You've done that for me. But I was sat there being like, this film is fucking good. So I was just like, we need to like wrap up this breakdown so mama can watch the last 50 minutes. So I get you to bed like a baby. Like I get you. <laughs> He's like, when you come upstairs with me, I'm like, Oy. so to come upstairs with him, I have to put him to bed. I get to a point where he's snoring and I've like crept out. Like I creep out of my son's bedroom and I am back on the sofa. I think by this point it was like 1.35 in the morning and I'm going to watch the last 50 minutes of a terrifying film. And I was like, this is the most disturbing fucking thing I've ever watched. <laughs> and it's now it's two in the morning and I'm alone on my sofa. It filled me with so much fear. And what was interesting is I'd already, by this stage, I'd, I'd already watched Uncanny and I'd hear, I'd heard these testimonies from these people who see these ghosts and there's like, they cannot move their bodies. And I was like, I, I physically can't move. I'm so scared. So I immediately, what I do when, on the occasions that this happens is that I, I, I Google the actors and the filmmaker to humanize. Mm. Humanize, humanize. So I like look at this girl who I've just watched do this fucking deranged shit. And like, this is Morvid Clark. Is that how you pronounce her name? Is she Welsh? That yes. must be a Welsh name. Morvid. Morvid. Morvid Clark. She's in the Amazon Lord of the Rings adaptation yes, as Galadriel. It was. It was every person in this film. Oh Jesus Christ is doing invisible acting. So the here's here's the plot. And obviously, as with all horror films, the, the less said, the better. She plays a nurse, like a carer, who has left working at a hospital for reasons we're not quite clear on, but they don't seem great. And she is now doing like private caring of a woman who is dying in a beautiful house. And um, she she's young. I think this woman is supposed to be like in her late 40s. And she was like a very successful choreographer and dancer. So she has this very glamorous life behind her. Is there ever anyone who used to be a dancer that you don't know that detail about them? Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, nev it's never far from the surface, is it? Um. So, you know, things don't go great in the caretaking. She's a religious girl. And she's not the happy, clappy, tambourine, rainbow guitar strap type of oh, religious issue. No. So Maud, the titular, has found the Lord. And she is very, much more um, American Gothic. but Austere. She is austere. Was there anything about this film that was 
aspirational did were you watching and thinking uh, maybe, maybe i could become a carer how many days do you think it would take me and by the way we're, we're using the term carer i mean she's doing administering medication through needles she's bathing she's stretching her she's cooking how many days do you think i could spend caring before i killed someone or hurt, hurt? i don't think i would kill someone but before i hurt someone push someone down the stairs yeah. i mean i can't imagine you'd get past the first morning no i'm not a natural carer i'm not i think i am a natural recipient of care (laughs) (laughs) yes you are a very natural recipient of care did you figure out which seaside town it's set in scarborough beach i don't think i've ever been there i fucking hate the british seaside bitches take it i hate your seasides Here's my question. Where am I going to get a fucking coffee? Like, there are places that you can go where the views are that gorgeous, but they know how to fucking serve you a decent flat white. You know, you're walking around and it's pretty. And then what the fuck are you supposed to eat? Chips out of a cone? I had some good chips out of a cone when I was in Margate. But that's not we're not talking about that shit. We're talking about, like, not hipster chips. The best chips aren't hipster chips. This is an opinion. Do you not enjoy a nice polystyrene cup of tea out of an urn? And then, like, some disgusting eggs at, like, a shitty hotel? No. So the idea of a British seaside town is horrific. The idea of being a carer is horrific. Uh Uh-huh. What about being cared for, having someone live in? The worst of all possible options. (laughs) I would rather be a carer in a shitty seaside town that I don't like than have someone in my home. I I feel sick. I feel sick now thinking about it. So listen, I could tell St. Maud was excellent, but not for me. No. Is it for you? I think if I'd watched it with someone other than you, I might have been able to say yes to that. It is right on the line of what I can handle. It is phenomenal. And the 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 director, and the, I think the writer as well, her name is Rose Glass. She is now 33. I think we're in genius territory. What's her name again? Rose Glass. That's your least favorite way to see the world. I think I can be a rose-tinted person. I I believe this about myself. I just think you don't see her quite as often as you like. Well, if you followed this spooky recommendation and uh, and you had a better time with it than I did, or if you want to get a recommendation in early for next year... Hold on, I'm finding my voice. Are you gearing up over there to say the email address in the spooky voice? Red Rob. (laughs) Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Tell them who's coming next. Our new friends. They haven't followed me back on Instagram, but we can do it a dream. Paul Therene and Hannah Boss. Creators of Somebody Somewhere. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I had a, a vague awareness that there was like a new Bridget Everett thing, which does always pique my interest because she is one of the most incredible performers. And we started doing this podcast and all of these listeners start coming in and being like, have you guys not watched somebody somewhere? So finally I watched it. And obviously I thought it was a revelation. And I'm curious how similar that is for other people. Like, are you finding that it has this kind of grassroots thing where you watch it and then you have to tell other people about it? And there's been this slightly belated groundswell of adoration and viewership for it? Yeah. I mean, we've watched it. Um, we love it. We tell everyone we know because we have to. <laughs> um, but it is a small show. It has a small budget. It's made in the Midwest. It's like got a lot of people that people have not seen maybe before. So it feels homespun because that's sort of how we make it. And then um, I think word of mouth is actually extremely important on this it, show. It really is has been a slow burn and it's like not a cool show. But I think there's a lot of people who it's like their favorite little hidden gem that they like to tell people about. And it's not weird as creators because you spend all this time making a thing. And then there is still this traditional network television mentality where there's a release date and it goes on the air and then the world can see it. And you then in the days and weeks afterwards can feel whether it's a, a hit in inverted commas or not. So how, how are you able to reconcile those two things, that slow burn and that ta-da, the unveiling? I'd say one thing that's really fun about it is the fact that it was released weekly, aired on HBO, and, and then was released on Max at a certain time. I think that really helped us. And I think it made it special that we could feel people watching it. All our friends and family were watching it. You'd see right afterwards sort of like people discovering it and the press. And each week there would sort of be another bump. And it. it also kind of matches the tone of the show. Like the show is a wildly bonkers quiet show and the pace is weird and the whole time we're making the show we're like well let's cut that line because that sounds like a tv show so mm -hmm. i i feel like it's it is sort of like this secret little show so we still feel like we're getting away with murder having this on tv paul you just mentioned friends and family members watching it have either of you had a family member who you can tell it's not for them, but they're trying to be nice and saying nice things about it. <laughs> this is really dark. It does something really dark. Uh, well, uh, no, I, uh, I have. Oh, like, no, the dark things. No, I'm going to tell you the, no, I'm going to tell you the, I'm going to tell you the dark thing, but I grew up in, on a farm in Minnesota and I have a really mix of people who are fundamentalist Christians, so liberal, a big range of people. And my dad, who was a farmer who passed away last year at 93 who was very much the Mike Haggerty, who also passed away last year, who played Sam's dad. Yep. Very similar, sort of like quiet farmer who everybody fell in love with. And this year, <laughs> this year, 
after my, you know, months after my dad passed away, my mom said, you know, your dad had mixed feelings about your show, right? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I didn't know. I did not. I did not know. I did not know that. And my mom's like the sweetest, most thoughtful person. I don't think she thought what she was saying. And then she left the room and then she came back. She's like, he was very proud of you and he loved your movie. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I guess the only person is my dead dad who had mixed feelings about it. <laughs> And all my fundamentalist Christian cousins have held their tongues or said nice things or said, thank you for not painting everybody from middle America who's conservative as a red hat wearing crazy person. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of you two and how you started working together and what the thing was that made you go, oh, okay, there's something here. Paul and I went to college together. And where did you guys go to college? We went to Vassar College. Uh, we're both Midwesterners and we did theater together and we dated for a short period of time, which we don't even remember. Um, and we had a really terrible breakup and then we made up writing a play together. Um, we don't even really tell the story, but I just did. Um, and then when people are like list your ex-girlfriends, I'm not like, well, Hannah boss. No, Paul is like my grandfather, cousin, uncle to me now. Um, he's much older than me, even though (laughs) to the same year. Um, and (laughs) we actually went to Russia soon after that and realized, yeah, to study acting. And we'd be doing acting exercises and they'd be like, close your eyes, point to the center of your body. And everybody would be like pointing to their heart and their stomach. And I knew I was like, I'm gonna open my eyes and Hannah's also gonna be pointing to her elbow. You know, we were sort of like the people who were always like looking at the thing on the side. Like it was just like, we weren't supposed to be together. We were supposed to like make stuff together. That's so interesting. So whatever that connection was, you, at first you mistook it for a romantic connection, but it's ended up being this this creative friendship. Yes. Yeah, it's like a lifelong partnership that's zero romance. Yeah. Um, That's sort of like Jeff and me, except that we did get married and feel very (laughs) stuck in it now. (laughs) But, but, so can I ask, how long did the romance portion last? Less than a year. Less than than a year. year. Okay, 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 great. Okay. And the beautiful thing is that we figured out that we really enjoy writing together. And we started writing um, plays in college for ourselves because people, we couldn't really figure out how to cast ourselves. I'm very short and Paul's very tall and we always played like ghosts and really old people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we couldn't figure that out. So we started writing for ourselves and we wrote really weird plays and we started selling stuff <laughs> and doing stoop sales and chili cook-offs to try to like fund our plays. And at this um, point, we were also waiting tables in the same restaurant for like seven years. We were roommates. We, we won't so we, be able to move on with the conversation until Sarah asks you where that restaurant I'm is. So because sorry. you're going to be too I'm, distracted by it. Because of my love for New York, I, I'm going to need to know what the restaurant was. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I'm real proud to say that I worked for 100 years at Rodeo Bar and Grill. Uh, the Honky Tonk the, restaurant the opened. The thing on 3rd <laughs> Avenue? Yeah. Uh, it was you open were a waitress there? I was a terrible waitress there for like seven, ten years. Why did you get hired? Because you were sexy. No, because they said, can you do a cartwheel? And I said, fuck, yeah, I can do a cartwheel on the street. (laughs) I had so many jobs then, but I was (laughs) I was like, I think I'm going to work at this place that they asked me to do a cartwheel at because I really am bad at picking up phones at this law firm that I can't pronounce any of the names. Um, (laughs) She's also a lawyer. Hannah's also a lawyer. Oh, I'm also a lawyer. So (laughs) I'll see you all in court after this. Um, (laughs) We sort of came up at the same time in New York doing performance stuff at the same time as Bridget, who was also waiting tables for years. 
and Jeff Hiller and Murray Hill and so many people in the show. And I think that there's sort of like that energy of people who have been making their own stuff for so many years, sort of. And keeping their day jobs like people, you know, we were all sort of late bloomers. Uh, We still are. And so when we got to make this show, it was just so exciting. I've um, I've just started season two and I'm so happy that you have given abbreviation and been able to quantify what NNP is, no new people, because we, we, we talk about this all the time. Oh, don't introduce me to your friend. I, I don't want to know. Him. And then that got me thinking about your friendship and, and the way that, um, the, that Sam and Joel relate to each other. Is, is it a lot of it born out of conversation rather than in a traditional writing environment? I think it's both. So the first season we had one other writer and Bridget, and then Carolyn Strauss, the producer. So it was the five of us sort of like talking it through. And Bridget is an amazing writer, but there's a way that she can sort of articulate the things that she struggles with in in life. And it's not, Sam isn't her, but there's sort of a core of these things. And I think Hannah and I have always liked the stories that are sort of to the side of regular stories. And so much of that stuff has to come out of conversation. And then we scripted very rigidly. And Bridget will just say something that's so funny and so deep and so dark about the things that she's wrestling with. And then we sort of figure out how to dramatize that. It's so, so interesting to hearing you talk about Bridget in that way, because it took me a couple of episodes to click with the show, not because of the show, but because of a certain expectation I was bringing to it. So I think of her as this very big cartoony performer. And it's this lovely, laid back, slow isn't quite the right word because it is punchy but i was expecting this cartoony performance and when i didn't get that i was thinking you're you're wasting this great comic performer here but the more i watch it the more i realize the opposite is the truth i think that that's what we always like to do we try to do the unexpected thing but she is such a sort of a deep thinker quiet introspective person and she's also like a ridiculously incredible performer and talented actor and she's so self-deprecating and she's so ridiculously funny it's just like the gift to, to to be working with her can i ask you about a couple of other actors on the show who you mentioned so jeff hiller and murray hill with those two like murray hill i've known about for years and years with jeff he felt so star is born in this show was, was that one of your sort of things like this is the guy him or bust i'm just interested in the casting process with him well Murray was our guy. Murray was in the script. We were like, Fred Rococo played by someone like Murray Hill. No, we said played, played by, Mur- oh, we said played played by, by Murray yeah, Hill. Played by we've Murray never Hill. done that. Yeah. yeah. So that was our guy for the script. Um, but for Jeff, we saw a lot of people. I think it's a hard role to cast. And it's also like a, a gay religious person from Kansas. It's not like a character that you see. And if you do, it's often a caricature. And Bridget was sort of like, what about Jeff Hiller? And after the audition, we had that feeling where we're like, this is the guy. That we is like him, no matter away. what. We were like, We were like, in the room, we're like, did you feel that? Oh, my God. And then we called Carolyn. We're like, we found him. Oh. And then, and she was like, I cannot wait to see the tape. And we were like, what tape? What do you mean tape? And we didn't record it. <laughs> oh, my God. And we were like, oh, Jesus Christ. So we had to, like, kindly ask him to, like, come back to Bridget's apartment. And we, like, got the next her day. Yeah, yeah, we got like With friends ring, yeah, yeah, ring lights from friends, and we're like, "Hey, remember that thing that you did that was perfect? Can you do exactly oh, that again? God. No pressure, no pressure, you know." And it was in Bridget's like kitchen, and we were all like smiling but shaking because we were like, "We made a huge mistake." <laughs> we had to totally down. We had to totally downplay it also because if he knew yeah. how much we loved him, yeah, he, I think he would have just 
shit himself. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, he was like, it was weird that I was like the only guy there and the only person in her kitchen, you know? <laughs> but yeah. If that's what it's like when someone nails it in the room. How do you two handle it when someone is terrible? Are you do you a poker face? Is there a look that you exchange I mean, between the two of you? Well, no, I give nothing because I've been on the other We're side. We're the best. Pa- We're the Paul, best people yeah. to do a bad audition for. Yeah, because, oh. yeah. Paul and I, you know, we were acting before show running the show. Um, so we have so many feelings and empathy and love for people auditioning. We often. People do a good job, bad job. We just turn to each other and we're like, Jesus Christ, this is so hard. This is so hard. It's so hard. So what what are the dickish people like doing your job? So when you've been on the other side of it, what does it look like when someone is is being an a-hole? Not paying attention, not giving you anything, cutting you short, being on their phone, I would say. Oh, God. It's brutal. Are you guys, are you done acting now? I don't know. I, I like acting still, but I love this job. I also love writing so much. You don't kind of hate it, but then you're like glad that you've done it. I'm always interested when people properly love to write. I love it because I have a partner in crime. It's much easier to have a partner uh, in creating and running a show and writing because, you know, there's so many times we're like, that was crazy, right? And you have someone else to be like, that was crazy. I'm sure you guys have that too, where you're like, that wasn't us, right? That was, that yes. was them. And when you're when you're alone, <laughs> you're just like, am I the, you, I'm I the crazy person? You're like, person? it's me. Yeah. When you guys are writing together, like what's the, what's the dynamic? Are you sat in a room? Are you emailing drafts? Does one person take care of one thing and another another? How does that all get parsed out between you? It's um, never it's never separate. Right. It's always us together talking about every single word together. And now we write a lot with Bridget, but sort of like Hannah and Paul are one person and Bridget's one person. And every time she sends it, she's like, here's some thoughts, take or leave. And it's always yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's really funny. Oh, yeah, that's better. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. We're going to put that all in. And then we do some tweaks and then we send it back to her. And that's how we do. And morning time is usually pretty great for the the hardest stuff like that we do the hardest stuff first and then later it's the more brain dead stuff qualify for me what's hard and what's brain dead a hard scene that needs to be really redone like rethinking the idea behind the scene rather than like these lines aren't good enough right because often it's like getting the bad version out first and then going back and fixing it it's sometimes easier because we want every line and every word to be perfect. And as Hannah said, if it sounds like a TV show, we want to like bury that and get rid of that. If we sit and try to make every line perfect as we go, we'll never get there. So we have to like swallow the ego, do the bad version and then fix it. And sometimes it's like the fixing it, the making it better. That's kind of fun. What do you guys fight about? Paul yelled at me uh, yesterday at Staples because I had a physical therapy <laughs> appointment during this. And I was like, well, we're doing the podcast tomorrow. And I was like in Staples and I was like, I made it into a big deal because he never talks to me that way. And I was like, did you all see that in the Staples? <laughs> yeah. But he just had the wrong day. Um, we don't really fight. You don't fight. I also think we don't hold things for like in the file cabinet for later. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, the way you just said that made me feel, you know, um, we're just very good communicators oh um, my god my wife is a... feeling so validated by I'm hearing like, that that's so intense. that's just what you want to do all the time press <laughs> pause let's get the microscope out <laughs> i mean we met when we were like 18 and and we've been so close that we've been and paul's with each other through the, now and i'm 72 so. now uh-huh. so <laughs> do, do the math everybody and i'm 29 okay. oh my but god we've, we've also like been with each other for like the worst moments of each other's lives and look at us dum-dums well <laughs> we say that a lot we're like look at us dum-dums, <laughs> look at us, yeah, dum-dums. <laughs> 
Everyone's fucking idiot dum-dums. <laughs> Look at these dum-dums with Jesus their HBO Christ. TV show. Yeah, I keep hearing you talk about, that sounds too much like a thing you'd hear on the TV show. And I'm interested, like, what are the rules or principles that underpin it? When you see something and you realize that that person said that just because it sounds clever and you can see the right, the clever writer behind it, we're like, eh. Or if somebody says something or something happens and the only reason that that happens is because something needs for to like happen a for note. a plot. You just, it takes us out of the world. What are you in awe of as TV writers? Like who out there is so good that you can barely wrap your head around it? This is so different than our show. How to with John Wilson. Yeah. It's just like, there. there's a few episodes of that that I think are like the best episodes of TV that I've ever seen. Second season of Fleabag is up there. The first seasons of Nathan for you, I thought were amazing. Um, but I also love 100 Foot Wave. Wait, I don't know Nathan for you or 100 Foot Wave. 100 Foot Wave is about surfers in this really dangerous area in Portugal. It's very good. Okay. Sarah gets very enraged about watching people do anything that is in any way deliberately life endangering. Did you watch that film, The Deepest Breath, about free diving? I can't do it, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's self-harm. It's fucking self-harm uh, presented as a sport. I can't tell you anything, but it's more about riding the wave and being addicted to intuition. It's very much about just, like, checking the weather, but also training, <laughs> but also following your gut. It's like people being like, I didn't go today. I just knew. It doesn't sound like a typical Hannibal. No, it's show. not So me. it must be but, great. I okay, seen. so wait, then also tell me what's Nathan for you. It's an older show. It's Nathan Fielder who did rehearsal, but it was his oh, show before okay. that. Okay, 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 okay. It's real people going into a business and his take on how to like redo their business. And it's just bonkers. Reservation Dogs was very special. Yeah, that was excellent. That's another one yes. where you're like, that's so funny. Paul, what do you think of as a Hannah show? Like Love is Blind. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, good, good, good. A Paul show is The Great British Bake Off. Sure. Um, and Murder, She Wrote. Honestly, those are like the two big uh -huh, Paul shows. Okay, great. Um, no, Hannah watches everything and has great taste. I just watched The Model Show. Uh, oh, the... yes. Wasn't that good? Yeah. Woo, that's good. That is good. Have you guys seen Telemarketers? Telemarketers. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, yeah. So I loved good. it. Yeah. That was loved excellent it. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to end on a compliment, which it makes my British husband incredibly uncomfortable. The show was honestly so excellent. And also, because there have been like a few little comments about age, ha ha ha, Hannah, I thought you were like fucking 34. I love and that, you. And like, that this is what 45, like, I feel inspired about life. I feel like middle age is fucking sexy. It's what you make it. Oh my God, Sarah, you saucy, saucy Chicagoan. Sexy. Thank I was you. Like, I was like, just tell her. It'll make her feel good and you mean it. Thank you. Jeff, I don't know how old you are. I think you look <laughs> great. Yeah. I don't know whatever I mean, you've been I'm doing like, lately, but it is working. You're 72. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Paul and Hannah, let's have them round for Christmas. I would love to. They were such sweeties. It's, it's not going to happen for us, though, is it? We're in London. They're in New York. We go to New York. What are we going to do? Look them up? No. We'll just always remember that we had a nice time together. They might not remember. They probably won't remember. They probably do a lot of interviews. <laughs> I choose to believe that they thought it was special when we interviewed them. Are you ready to peer inside the haunted inbox? Red rum, red rum. You're really not getting tired of doing that, are you? I think I'm like really good at it. Yes, but less is more. <gasps> All right, here we come. We're going in. Werewolf bar mitzvah spook. 
spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. It's from 30 Rock. One of my favourites. Although I did walk in on you watching Teen Wolf recently. (laughs) The the original film. The original film starring Michael J. Fox and uh, it was joyful. Is it ever explained why being lupine makes you better at basketball? No. All right, so this comes from Nikki. Dear FC and Ensing, the thing that had the most terrifying impact on me when I was a child was the 1992 one-off, supposedly live BBC special, Ghost Watch. Yeah, people who are a bit younger than I am are obsessed with the memory of this. It's a real cultural touchstone. Nikki continues, when it aired, I was 10 years old and I remember begging my parents to let me stay up to watch it. They finally agreed. The premise was that the host and a camera crew were going to spend the night at a family home where there had been supernatural activity. Wikipedia actually cites ghost watches found footage style as being the predecessor to the Blair Witch Project. This makes me think that somebody's written that on Wikipedia for a laugh and nobody's edited it yet. I thought Blair Witch was really scary when it came out. I found it very annoying. I am unable to relay the plot to you as... One, I am still too scared to read the plot summary. (laughs) So she's got to be like 42 now. And two, when I originally watched it as a scared 10-year-old, I only got past the first scary scene when the two young sisters were woken up with a poltergeist banging the wall and throwing objects around the room. After that, I took myself to my sister's bed because I couldn't sleep alone for multiple nights. Anyway, ever since this experience, I've been unable to watch anything with ghosts and poltergeists seem like the most disgustingly monstrous entities available. I don't understand what a poltergeist is. I think it's like when you've got a toddler and they just love knocking stuff off the shelves. That sounds like a good thing. I mean, someone like hurling a book feels less scary to me than like a figure just stooped in the corner. Mm. But right, I guess if it was like knives, that would not be great. No. It's a lot of tidying up as well. I like to tidy. It's the way in which you manage your anxiety. It is the way in which I manage my anxiety. Which is part of why you're reading because it's a thing that your mother did as well. I've been wanting to write to you about Ghost Watch since the beginning of the pod, but I had to build up to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reading. Love, Nikki from Edinburgh. All right, this comes from Eleanor who says, Hi, Sarah and Jeff. I've held off emailing because the show I've been dying to recommend is French and I wasn't sure of its relevance. But I was thrilled today to have been summoned and now I have the perfect opportunity to rave about it. It is far better than Lupin. The other reason I haven't emailed since the Succession Pod days is that you gave me the nickname Construct. And then I met someone in real life, a friend of a friend, who told me that he also listened. And I was just so mortified that he'd heard me being referred to repeatedly as Construct. I really feel like the pod is catching. (laughs) Anyway... My top French TV recommendation is Spiral. Mm-hmm. Spiral, is it? I don't. I, Je ne sais pas, mais continuez. Hein? It's one of those ones that seemed to be always on BBC Four on a Saturday night, but I never got round to watching it. And he continues. It's a crime drama stroke police procedural set in the grim criminal underbelly of Paris. If Paris is a character. It is definitely more of a villain than a romantic lead. Wah, wah. We've no, never seen we've never seen Paris in that light before. No, and I have to say, like when she just when Ellie describes it the way I'm like, that sounds like the, you know, it sounds like it speaks to the quality, a high quality of the show. But also I was like, 
I want it to be romantic when I'm <laughs> gay, Perry. Each season explores a different complex crime. It's most similar to something like The Bridge with how the crimes are investigated and solved, but with more of an ensemble cast. It's a fascinating and intricate insight into the French justice system with brilliant characters, plenty of twists and turns, and some great, often tragic, love stories. P.S. I'm going to take the P.S. if you don't mind. Okay. This is Ellie's postscript. Over the summer, I genuinely saw Jesse Armstrong at this Lido, which I already knew that he swam at. Everybody in the in the no-nos in his aforementioned red swim shorts. Oh my God, did I know they were red or did it my body just know? I'm almost certain that you will have asked him. But I don't think he would have... Oh, did he say that it was red and then I wanted to know how tight and he was like, no. Yeah, that sounds, right. sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> That's so interesting because now we've interviewed him a few times. He's not one for a splash of color, old Jay Armstrong. He, uh, and that is, I like it. But he go, you know, navies, greens, what grays. So the red swimming trunks for him are a, a look at me kind of choice. I bet he wants people to come up and talk to him about. I bet he's wearing those red swimsuits to be like, if you're wondering if I'm the guy. I'm the guy and you can come talk to me when my body is semi-exposed. It evokes Baywatch. Yeah, it's like very Baywatch babe of the J-Dog while he's at a <laughs> British Lido. Okay, I was maniacally looking around to see if anyone else recognized him. I love that so much. She'd be like, oh my God, 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 oh my God. But then it would not be just him, it would be him in a swimsuit. <sighs> But of course, I didn't disturb him in such a vulnerable situation. Of course not, Eleanor, because like us, you're a great person with amazing taste and you understand people. And that's why you love Succession and that's why you love our podcast. So you know to not be the one who's like, hey, man, big fan of the show. Sorry that your entire torso is available right now. <laughs> what a dream. Well, all right, listen, Ellie, you've got an assignment. Any more spottings? Keep us posted. What's he doing? If you see Jay Armstrong at the Lido in the winter, what is he doing to protect his body? Has he got a red wetsuit? Does he? No, I don't think he does. I wonder if he does. Yeah, okay. Does he do red? He can't be in a red wetsuit. <laughs> I will boycott succession if that man wears a red wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> If that man, it's like, I'll question everything. I'll be like, oh, we all drunk a Kool-Aid. This is a fucking, like the, 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 the patients are running the asylum. If he was so red, one of those things. No, I want to know. Number one, is he wearing a slim cap? Does he go full body wetsuit? What color is it? It must be black. Flippers? He's not going to be wearing flippers because that's too crazy. But is he wearing those little weather, those little warm socks? <laughs> no, I know that one should be. Okay, does he wear little warm socks and does he wear little gloves? Now, here's what I think he might be doing. I believe the red swim shorts are his summer look. <laughs> I think he has a different pair for autumn and winter. I believe that he goes into the slido. I predict cap. I predict gloves. I predict little his little warm socks, but no full body coverage. Maybe he does a little shirt, but I think he wants those thighs out there. Also, Ellie, once you're safe and warm. You get yourself a little hot chocolate. You put on whatever like robe you brought with you and time him. How long is he in? I think she should go on Christmas Day. I think she'll see him there. I bet he goes on Christmas. I bet he fucking goes on Christmas. I can see it. I can see it. I'm serious. I think all of the indulgence of Christmas, it's too much for him. He needs to balance the booze and the food and whatever. And he does that by being like, okay, I, I need a little me time and I need a little reset. So I think I'm going to like treat myself to cold water swimming on Christmas Day. So you don't think he's changing into elasticated waistband trousers 
mid-December no, no, until, no, no. until the end of January, nope. middle of February. Nope, nope, I don't think so. I think like maybe he puts on a pound here and there. And then maybe he decides to rein it in and then he loses a pound here and there. Moderation. Jesse, moderation. Armstrong. It just occurred to me that I don't know his middle. No, I think I didn't know his middle name. Never mind. <laughs> I think I know it. Well, we're all waiting. No. So that's just between I, you and him. I think I, I think it's David. Is it David? I don't know. Let's Google if that's right. Yep. Jesse David Armstrong. <laughs> so embarrassing. It's a shame you've already recorded. Can I just say? It's, it's a shame you've already recorded your episode of Celebrity and Inverted Commas Mastermind because you could have done it on the life and times of Jesse Armstrong. Oh my god, I pitched Succession as my topic, and I should have been like Jesse Armstrong. <laughs> Can I just say I'm not quite as crazy as this is making me look? I have uh, this is so arrogant. I have a a really really good memory for this kind of shit, so that's why that was in there. Also this week, Gavin thinks we should watch Designated Survivor or The Diplomat. Both are sort of coming at the same idea, a political fish out of water, but from different ends of the spectrum. Eh. Robert thinks we should watch Virgin River on Netflix. Very easy watching, bingeable romance drama. Claire thinks we should watch The Long Shadow. Spooky, spooky, spooky. And Lucy thinks we should watch The Pembrokeshire Murders and Quicksand. And these three different films, Baby Teeth, Jojo Rabbit, and Rocks, and they know Jojo Rabbit. I looked at Baby Teeth, and all I can remember right in this moment is that it's Australian, and it looked weird, and it looked fucking good, and I thought I would actually watch that. And then Rocks, this is going to be a bad pitch, but I think it's supposed to be like this epic and amazing version of this, Single Mother and Hackney. Send us your recommendations. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This week, Sarah watched Uncanny on BBC iPlayer. I watched Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. And we watched, I, I watched about 20-some minutes of St. Maud. And I will never be the same again. Hannah Boss and Paul Thoreen like to watch Deep Breath. How To with John Wilson, which is on HBO and Sky and Now TV here. Fleabag, which is on iPlay and also Prime Video. Nathan For You on Prime Video or Paramount+. Plus. 100 Foot Wave which you can find it on Sky or Now TV, Reservation Dogs on Disney+, Plus, Love is Blind on Netflix, Great British Bake Off on Channel 4, Supermodels on Apple TV, Telemarketers, HBO slash Sky slash Now TV, and Murder, She Wrote, which, believe it or not, is not currently streaming anywhere. What a travesty! Who's there? Trick or treat. Here, have a treat. I want a trick. What would your trick be? Um, my trick is... Okay, I've got it now. I'm going to make the noise of a dolphin. <laughs> That's a, an audible trick I can do. Um, I can sort of do like a horse sound. Oh, yeah. <sighs> uh -huh. Oh, you know what else I can do? I'm sorry. Another animal I can do is um, in my acting studies, I did a course called Animals. And you were supposed to like embody this animal for like 12 weeks or something. And I was a wolf. And I went to the zoo and I studied wolves. I did a whole thing. Did I you never play basketball? <laughs> anyway, I really practiced my wolf sound. Let's give that a go. Oh. I didn't think I'd be saying this, but I, th I think you should stick to red rum. Red rum. See you guys next week. Happy spooky Halloween.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.